as we're calling it. I think we're going to start calling it everyday theology because we have started. Hey folks, welcome back to the newest edition of Everyday Theology, Theology 101, Tuesday Theology, whatever it is we're calling it. I think we're going to start calling it Everyday Theology because we have started putting the audio of these Facebook Live videos up on our podcast feed that you can find under all podcast media under the name Faith and UU, the podcast for everyone. So we'll call this Everyday Theology Part 7, A Theology of Grief. My name is Reverend McKinley Sims. I serve as the minister at UU Restoration in Northwest Philadelphia. And we are in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, ongoing, continuing. And we are getting ready to hold a memorial service this Sunday, a virtual memorial service for our congregation that thankfully has not been too affected, directly affected by the coronavirus, but we've had friends and family members who have succumbed to the virus. And we are in a general state of grief for our world, for our nation, for our city, for our congregation. So we want to lift up the names of those who have been affected as a lot of folks did this past weekend because it was Memorial Day weekend. So as we remember those who killed in foreign wars and those in service of this country, we're also lifting up the names of those who've succumbed to the virus who are heroes of a different kind, who are working as essential workers in the healthcare field, who are delivering supplies and making necessary resources available to the rest of us. We're lifting up those names, but I think the general idea is to come together to name the grief that we are feeling, even if we are unable to name it as grief. So I've been reading this article that was sent to me at the beginning of the pandemic from the Harvard Business Review, and it's by Scott Baranato. Baranato, sorry, Scott, if that's not how you pronounce your name. It's titled, That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. And it goes into, a, I think, a really fascinating insight into the different kinds of grief that people are feeling, not just the grief over the things that have changed in our world and the things that we have lost and the people who we have lost, but also what's called anticipatory grief and a sense of the uncertainty of the future and the fact that we don't have control like we thought we did and learning how to grieve that loss of control, however illusory it was is another kind of grief that's in the air. And the fact that we're all experiencing it in different ways and we're all feeling it in different ways, we are also all reacting in different ways. So they interview with uh, David Kessler, I believe. David Kessler, who worked on um, Kubler-Ross's book about the five stages of grief. And he has a sixth stage of grief. So if you're not familiar, the stages are uh, anger, denial, uh, bargaining, sadness slash depression, uh, and acceptance. And then the sixth one is making meaning. So we've been in these different five stages for the past few months, and it's not a linear progression, right? You can go from one stage to another and then back, you can skip. It's not exactly a linear progression to go from some and the uh, 
the items that they lift up about people moving through the stages, both of anticipatory grief and the ever-present acute grief that's happening as people manage it, there's the denial phase, right? People have said, this is not a big deal. This is just the flu. This won't affect me. This won't affect us. There's anger. Why are we overreacting? You're taking away my activities. Why do I have to wear this mask? There's bargaining. Okay, so if we do social lockdown and social distancing for two months, then everything will be fine, right? There's sadness. I don't think I need to say any more about that. And then there's acceptance. Okay, this is happening. What do we do about it? How do we proceed? How do we move forward? And the moving from acceptance where we start to take control back, where we start washing our hands, exercising social distance protocols, finding new ways to be together, learning how to do Zoom, finding new ways to do church. That's all part of the acceptance phase. And I think some of us have moved into the acceptance phase and are starting to no longer wrestle as much with the fact that this could be our reality for a long time. Some of us have moved away from that acceptance phase back into a denial phase, an anger phase, a bargaining phase. So people are dealing with grief in really real ways. And people are dealing with it in very different ways, not just along political lines, but along different religious lines, different socioeconomic lines, right? People with greater privilege are making different choices than those of us without. It's a hard time to find a meaning in all of this, but that is the hope for us for today in this session, for our Sunday service when we lift up the names in memorial. And I think it's our job as a people to get better at dealing with our grief, to get better at naming our grief, being responsible about it, being collective and communal about it, and being proactive about it. So I've been thinking a lot about the grief that I've been experiencing. And so I will just share a little bit about that. When the pandemic first really started to take hold, here in North America, I'd flown down to Texas to see my family for the first time in a while. And while I was uh, getting ready to go on that trip, my uncle died after a long battle with Parkinson's disease. So not unexpected, but still heartrending and incredibly uh, grief filled. So when we go down to Texas, the reason for the trip has changed, but we go to the panhandle and things are more or less how you would normally expect them to be on the plane flight down. But after spending a week in Texas and with everything starting to really expand rapidly, virally, as they say, the flight back to Philadelphia where I live was like a different world. So I had left one world and entered into this grief filled bubble and having to manage the loss of a dear family member and manage the grief of my you know extended family and immediate family manage my own grief 
and then to come back into a world that was grieving and changing so rapidly was really hard, really hard. And I have inhabited most of these spaces, anger, denial, bargaining, sadness, and sadness was the most recent one for me. I held off on the sadness for a long time until the past couple of weeks. And then I got really sad because of the anticipatory nature of not knowing when this will end, because of the catastrophic loss of life, to have 100,000 people, many of whom I believe their deaths could have been prevented. That's hard to swallow. But I think now I'm coming into a stage of acceptance where I remember my responsibilities to my people, to my family, to myself, and seeking to learn how to go forward with the world the way it is. I don't have to like it, I have to accept it. So I started to move from this acceptance stage into what Kessler calls the sixth stage, which is finding meaning. Finding meaning in a global pandemic is a big task. So I think it has been helpful for us to put together this memorial service and start to wrestle with our own grief as individuals and to start to express collective grief as community. So in Unitarian Universalism, we draw from many sources, we have an open canon, and we are looking at different religious traditions and their views on grief, death, dying, and mourning as we prepare our memorial service. So I've been looking through different sacred texts and sacred scriptures and pulling out pieces that we might use in our service on Sunday. So one of our worship associates sent in a very rational, philosophical, humanist perspective from Seneca the Younger, Roman philosopher, wrote, in the presence of death, we must continue to sing the song of life. We must be able to accept death and go from its presence, better able to bear our burdens and lighten the load of others. Out of our sorrows comes understanding. Through our sorrows, we join with all of those before who have had to suffer, all of those who will yet have to do so. So let us not be gripped by the fear of death. If another day be added to our lives, let us joyfully receive it. But let us not anxiously depend on our tomorrows. Though we grieve the deaths of our loved ones, we accept them and hold on to our memories as precious gifts. Let us make the best of our loved ones while they are with us. And let us not bury love with death. I think that's a beautiful sentiment from a rational humanist perspective even a religious humanist perspective that lifts up the acceptance stage, acknowledges the loss, and finds renewed meaning in today, being present in the moment of being filled with gratitude for the day that is, being mindful of the days that were, being hopeful for the days that are to be, but being present on this day, saying, oh, yes, this is the present, as they say, it is a gift. Let us make the best of our loved ones while they are with us. And let us not bury love with death. 
the humanist perspective on finding meaning amidst grief. It's also doing a lot of reading from the Buddhist traditions, especially from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. And I was reading through some of what's called the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And uh, that's not a great translation apparently of its actual name, often called the Bardo, B-A-R-D-O in English. And one of the lamas from that tradition, I believe Sogyal Rinpoche, was writing about the Bardo tradition and helping families go through the process of losing a loved one and then dealing with their grief before, during, and after the death. And this is a Buddhist presentation on finding meaning amidst grief. That when a loved one is dying, the Lama or the priest will go to the family and offer these words. Imagine and know that the Buddha you are crying out to responds with all his or her love, compassion, wisdom, and power. Tremendous rays of light stream out towards you from him or her. Imagine that light as nectar, filling your heart up completely and transforming your suffering into bliss. Tremendous rays of light that stream out towards you and transform suffering into bliss. That is something I can get behind right now, today. Are you with me? Oh my goodness. Acknowledging the reality of the grief. The paper I was reading says that I think my common conception and maybe our common conception for those of us who do not practice Buddhism and beliefs in reincarnation and the, the true reality of suffering is that death is kind of a reprieve from the suffering. It's an end to the suffering perhaps. And either you attain enlightenment or you're reincarnated in your next life. So death is not such a big deal. It's not such a bad thing. And uh, that's not true what I've been reading. In the Tibetan tradition, I read this quote, Tibetans recognize death all around them. The deaths of those they know and love that causes them to search for the meaning of life with a sense of hope. An unceasing ecology of birth and death form the matrix of grieving, but rebirth does not remove the pain of loss. Rebirth does not remove the pain of loss. The really important thread through all of these that I have found is that refusal to acknowledge the pain of the loss is one of the central steps in the grieving process. When I was working as a chaplain at St. Elizabeth's Hospital, my supervisor who taught me more than anyone else about what it is to be a minister, to be a chaplain, to be a human being, had a sign in his office that said, change equals loss equals grief. Change equals loss, which equals grief. That for every change, even if it's a good change, it still represents some kind of loss. And so there has to be some kind of grieving work done. There has to be some kind of meaning made out of it, even when it's good things. So when we have something bad, like a pandemic, that's a huge loss, a huge change that requires a huge amount of grief. 
And we can't all do that grieving solely as individuals. It's the point of our, something like our memorial service, the point of something like Memorial Day weekend, to have communal rituals of grief and loss. So in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, when they say that rebirth does not remove the pain of the loss, and that the idea of helping a family to release some of that attachment, that emotional attachment, to let the consciousness of the person who has died either ascend to enlightenment or reincarnate into their next life, right? that you still have that attachment, and that one of the lama's roles, one of the priest's roles, tremendous rays of light that stream out and transform suffering into bliss. For me, that sounds like moving from those stages, the first stages of Kugler Ross's model towards acceptance, towards making meaning. That it doesn't negate the reality of the loss, but it does lead you towards something else, something more. I was reading from the Christian tradition. We've talked about a humanist perspective, a Buddhist perspective, a Christian perspective. We have from the Beatitudes, Jesus's uh, wonderful sermon, Matthew chapter five, that blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Simple, elegant, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. I think there's a certain finitude to that that recognizes that people mourn and people are comforted. That's the way of the world. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. We'll dwell with them there as their God. They will be his peoples. God himself will be with them. We'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For these first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. So in the Christian tradition, you have this idea of an eternal life, the life after this one, that has to do with someone's soul, and that inner divine spark, that thing that is created in God's image in the Christian tradition. And in the book of Revelation, it's a prophetic view as to what life looks like when things are made right, when all things are made new. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Those first things will have passed away. I like this story. It talks about the home of God, that the home of the divine is among mortals, is on earth, that humanity and divinity are co-mingling in the realness of stuff right, in the reality of stuff. There's not a separation. There's not heaven somewhere far away and then earth where us mere mortals dwell, right? It's all together. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. It says to me that death loses its sting, the book of Isaiah says, because things are being made new that through all 
the death, the change, the loss, the grief. In that grief leads to something new, some new meaning that is being made, some new trajectory, some new earth is what they call it in the book of Revelation. Death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And when you go through this grief cycle, there is a time for mourning and crying and pain. And then eventually, with work, with community, with love, with grace, those things pass away and you find yourself in a new place. I don't know what our new place will look like on the other side of this pandemic, but I remain ever hopeful. I believe firmly in the making of all things new. I believe firmly in the commingling of divinity and humanity together. I believe firmly in the bending of the moral arc of the universe towards justice. I believe firmly in the dream of Unitarian Universalism, of a world of peace and justice, a global community, where there's justice, equity, and compassion in all human relations, where democracy is ever present, where people's inherent worth and dignity are defined not by the color of their skin, but by who they are, regardless of their gender, ethnicity, orientation, etc. I believe in all that. It's why I have the job I do. It's how I learn to make meaning out of all the bad things that happen. I remain fixed on the future without denying the reality of the pain in the past and in the present. That some days, as my adored Hebrew professor, Steve, was fond of telling us, one of the central messages in the Hebrew scriptures is that some days it does not feel like all things are being made new. Some days it does not feel like streams of light are transforming your bliss, your sorrow into bliss. Some days it does not feel like you have love that you have not buried with the dead. Some days suck. And that is part of grief as well. Naming the suckiness of some things. Naming the suckiness, the awfulness, the crappiness of COVID-19, of racism, of economic disparity, of the death penalty, of things that are not loyal to life. Naming those for what they are and not just pretending that everything's going to be okay just because it's going to be okay. That's an important part of grief, too. And naming when things are hard and crying out. Crying, lamenting, mourning. Hebrew scriptures talk about tearing of cloth, weeping, wailing, pounding the earth. These are rituals of grief that take you on that journey towards acceptance, towards making meaning but they are indispensable parts of grief. So when we talk about a theology of grief and having a theology, an everyday theology, doing theology every day, part of that is getting in touch with our spirits, our souls, and naming the suckiness of this time. 
naming just the crap of what it is. And not dwelling on it, but naming it for what it is. So then, then we are moved along that path towards acceptance, towards making meaning. When we get together on Sunday, we will lift up names in a memorial service. And anyone who is watching this video, you are invited to submit names that we will lift up as well. If there is someone that you know who has died from the virus or who has lost a loved one, someone that we might hold communally in our grief to express the bigness and the suckiness of all of this, you are invited to email it to me, minister at uurestoration.us, and we will lift their name up this Sunday, May 31st, minister at uurestoration.us. You can find that information on our public Facebook page where this video is posted. You can find it in the notes of the podcast version of this audio. You can find it at our website, uh, uurestoration.us. So we will be going on a communal journey through the stages of acceptance towards making meaning, lifting up various traditions, various faith practices, and you are invited to, to join in and attend as you see fit. If that looks like burning incense, do it. If that looks like burning candles, do it. If that looks like crying, do it. If that looks like dancing, do it. Whatever it is for you, it helps you travel that path of your own individual grief, not just for the loss of life, but also the anticipatory grief about our loss of control, our loss of certainty in the world, about our communal grief for just trying to find what it is to be alive, what it means to be part of this today. Whatever it is that helps you be in this moment without forgetting the pain of yesterday or losing hope for tomorrow. You are invited to bring all of that to our table where we will lift up our theology of grief together, try and hold the bigness, the suckiness, and the hopefulness all as one. May it be so. Amen.